Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host today, at least, Chris Anderson, publisher of PureSports.com, Western site on the 247sports.com network. Uh, I am joined by your usual host, Mr. Mike Sazza. I gotta, I, I, I'm dragging him down one last time where he goes on vacation and before we have to re-record all 15 podcasts that we just tried to do this week that are quickly becoming obsolete. Mike, how are you? Discouraged, disappointed, <laughs> because like we, we cannot do this job right right now. Again, terrible time to take a vacation, but also maybe the best time to take a vacation. I'm sorry to put this upon you, but uh, I don't think we can screw this one up because I think what we're going to talk about has more to do with longevity than, than current events. Although there's some current events, but I don't think any of them are going to change by the time that people hear this. What a Hopefully. jinx! What a jinx right there! <laughs> Kudos to you. Uh, yes, longevity. Uh, we are discussing kind of like I said. It it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be something that can change drastically in the course of a couple days. At least not at this point of the calendar. But today we're going to discuss the state of the program, the state of West Virginia Mountaineer football. Um, big picture, we're talking coaching, on-field success, future recruiting. Everything. Um, but there's a lot of different angles we want to go here. I, I don't know. Do you want to start big picture, or do you? Is there a certain angle of this that that you really want to kind of focus on first? I think it's a good conversation to have. I want to say that because I was tracking our podcast traffic when um, the Vic Canning stuff happened, and the immediate one that we recorded vaulted up right away to number two it might be number one by now but like in the first 24 hours it was number two out of the 133 episodes we did it leapfrogged the state of the program from last year and Mm. i think i think that's one that maybe kind of put our conversations on the map a little bit because it wasn't just like here's some stuff we wrote about and it certainly hasn't been as as crazy or as irreverent as some of the things we talked about in the past three months it was really kind of tangible tangible formative stuff about you know, why I maybe wasn't in love with the coaching staff and transition or I was slow to come around on it. Kind of wore the heel costume that you, day. You were a hater, Mike. Just say it. Say it. You it were a tough. hater. It was tough. Um, but I've since formed the fan club, as everybody well knows. And I've, I've been accused this week of being too effusive in my praise of Brown and the athletic department. So um, we opened a window into things and things change that day. So maybe we can, um, and I mean, we can add some wisdom to the world again, too. All right. Well, let's let, let's start with. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to go down this path again. The the the, Vic Cunning path of coaching. We'll get to recruiting in a bit, so maybe we do. Maybe we do want to start big picture, because I, I right before we got on here, I mentioned something, and and it's it's been talked about plenty. This isn't something new, but the, the Neil Brown playbook, at least at Troy, and I can we even call it a playbook when it's really kind of just one stop before this one. Um, he been around some eight. pretty good coaching transitions, though. You know, the turnarounds where he was on the new staff at Kentucky the first time uh, with Tuberville at Texas Tech. I read about this last year. They went from eh or bad to pretty good in the second year at every stop. And he told me that he learned some lessons there about what questions to ask before the first season and then specifically after the second season to get things going. Um, I, I think you can apply that. I think pass okay. the prologue in some regard. All right. Well, at least as far as, like you mentioned, you mentioned his other stops where he was a coordinator, assistant coach, but in his one uh, previous stint as head coach at Troy, four and eight in the first season with the Trojans, took over a pretty, I'll I'll borrow a phrase here, meh, program, and (laughs) 
took them to 10 and three in year two. And then that was the beginning of a three year stretch of double digit wins before he took the job at West Virginia in Morgantown, five and seven in his first season. Not going to get to 10 wins in 2020 because West Virginia might not play 10 games, but let's set a different criteria of say twice as many wins as losses, say six and three, if they play only conference games, for instance, big picture, what has to happen or what have you seen so far from this program, from the staff, from the players that makes you think that's remotely possible? I'm a believer in luck as a mathematical thing. Is it um, bad that that's the first place you went was luck? Well, I think it's, I think it's inevitable that it plays a part in the game. And they were unlucky with injuries last year. We can agree with that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, decimated, had undercooked players all over the field on defense, sometimes on offense, too. Offensive line was bad from start to finish, but it was derailed at the very beginning. Um, I think that's luck, and that was bad luck. Um, So I think that realistically you can expect them to be healthier. Even if they're unhealthy, they can still be healthier than they were last year. So better lineups from week to week. You may have your same – lineup in place or at least available that's a big difference too um most of the season now the great unknown here is how safe are players and how conditioned are players going to be during this very unusual preseason i don't know that's going to be a tough one so i do worry about that stuff there because if they're unlucky again with injuries then that's a bad omen for them so that could hurt um and then you look at some of their situational stuff too bad luck that i just think worked for them like they only recovered half of their fumbles, but their opponents recovered almost all of their own fumbles. So just little things like that. Those are just mathematical things that you figure it can't be unlucky that way again um, over and over and over. It's just like the luck doesn't doesn't work that way too often. Um, you know, passes broken up. They got their hands on 53 passes last year. They picked off eight. That's an awful ratio. So recovering more fumbles obviously intercepting passes you get your hands on. You're not going to get all 53, but you figure more than eight if you're in the position to tip them. And then injuries. And that's just like mathematical stuff. You figure, all right, that's got to be on their side. So luck is one. Um, We've recorded a preview podcast on their schedule. I kind of like their schedule if it stays in place because almost everybody that plays West Virginia has a tough game right before. And if your opposition is just a little bit wind, a little bit weakened, that can help. I also think that like, there's a great equalizer in this offseason where nobody's going to be prepared. Nobody's going to be good, right? right? I mean, how can you be prepared, adequately prepared, sufficiently prepared, confidently prepared in this situation? So it's going to bring everybody up or down to a similar plane. And if coaching is good and talent is good, that's going to be a separator. And Brown has even said that, that, you know, intelligent coaches, expert preparation, talented players are going to be rewarded this year and there is some accountability in place so maybe these guys were really good with virtual learning and they policed each other and they went hard in the offseason when they were away and when they were under the coach's thumb that could help too so what happens next is by and large a result of what's already happened is it an indication of how good they were during the offseason yeah man if they rip off six or seven wins in a nine or ten game season they were probably really good in may june and july um, and then, then they just got on the road and things were rolling in August and they were ready to take off when they finally were allowed to start their engines. So you mentioned a bunch of different uh, um, factors in play here. 
which it leads me to another question, which maybe I, maybe I should have started with this one because it is quite literally the beginning. Uh, people talked about last year being year zero instead of year one, um, losing a lot of players in the offseason uh, and coming into West Virginia, going through quarterback changes, new quarterbacks, a depleted roster, all the injuries you mentioned, and then coming into what should be year two, but instead more injuries, more departures, coaching. Mm, how do I put this politely? Careful. Uh, <laughs> coaching situations that might disrupt uh, team chemistry, team uh, improvement, team morale, uh, and then everything, all the entire spring football season, spring football canceled, all these scheduling changes that are coming up, season apparently getting pushed back with all these other games being canceled, these non-conference games being canceled. So is this year 0. 0.1, 0.2? What are, what are we at? What kind of slack are we giving him here? It, it's happening just to make me mad. <laughs> I know. You can, you can blame this term. You can blame this whole pandemic on me because I got so mad about the concept of year zero last year, right? Um, uh-huh. I understand. I understand the willingness to grant him a lot of rope. He took over a tough situation. I get that. I just think it matters. Again, I don't think that you're going to find. I, I don't think that if he was four games under 500 after four seasons, people were going to say, "Well, he's actually only two games under 500 because the 2019 year doesn't count." Nobody would have said that. They would have been pissed off if they had a coach who was four games under 500 after four years. It doesn't work that way. I know fans, and you know these fans too, that if you're, if you're listening, you're one of them. You're probably going to act that way. I'm sorry. So I do think it counts. But I'm also sympathetic to the fact that there were square pegs. There were players that were not bought in. There were some academic things he had to deal with. He also got a raw deal of injuries. So I get that. I saw it. I watched it. I wrote about it. I understand that. I just think it matters. And you also – that means if you don't count year zero, you – don't count the momentum they got by winning two out of three on the road at the end of the season because it doesn't count. So I just never liked that. Um, but now I'm looking at it and I'm looking at all that momentum he could have had. And I do believe it exists. And I do believe that, you know, you saw players who were engaged and you had reason to believe in a bright future of the quarterback. Um, receivers were much better at the end of the year than they started. And you look at the defense and you say, man, they made it work despite myriad issues with talent and depth and, you know, having, backup linebackers play cornerback just because that was a way to stop the bleeding or at least to prevent the bleeding, just up to stuff that worked and you're excited about it. And you say, man, this is going to be cool. But I look at it now, um, two spring practices, hardly any way for the head coach who calls the plays and by and large runs the offense to work with his new offensive coordinator. You didn't see any progress on the field from your quarterbacks. You don't know how much better your offensive line can be or more importantly needs to be when you hit the field um, at the end of this week and defense I'm sorry there's no way to put it this is a bad situation for them you're just dealing with a new voice and new leadership no one's in charge again I think you can commend the situation by not having commend the decision of not having coordinators right now because it doesn't make sense they haven't you know really earned it I think both those guys that die and Leslie would say I'd much rather get it the old-fashioned way so I don't think they're going to argue me when I say that it's just a bad situation to give someone a coordinator title in right now but the fact remains you don't really know who's in charge of it and maybe even that person does it because they've never done it before leslie has experience coordinating at the junior college level won back-to-back junior college national championship so he's successful he's known how to do it 
is it different here? You know, the guy across the field that he's matching wits with makes a million bucks a year, makes seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Probably pretty good at his job. It's not going to be some guy who's in the junior college level learning how to do it. Um, so it's just challenges right now. And you know, how do you call the plays? How do you run practices? How do you get the most out of guys? And maybe you don't know them. Or more importantly, they don't know you. Um, I don't know how they do that stuff. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying you can't give them the benefit of the doubt that they earned last season. I really think they earned the benefit of the doubt on defense. And you could say, you know what, the offense is probably going to be pretty good because they got a quarterback and knows what he's doing. They got talented receiver. That probably still exists, but like I just can't be as giving with the defense, which I think we can agree that was supposed to be the strength of the team, right? Correct. So I think yes. if if this were if this were a typical podcast and you were on the lead, this is where you'd start your role playing as Shane Lyons. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to be Shane Lyons right here. At what point are you agitated? At what what needs to happen this year for you to sit down in an exit interview with Neil Brown at the end of the season and give him a real vote of confidence, not a fake vote of confidence that's secretly, uh, you know, a death sentence. I'm talking about actual having confidence in the way the program is moving. What needs to happen this year? You got to make a bowl. And again, are we talking a 12 game season or a nine game season? How do you qualify for a bowl? I don't know, but like you got to get in the postseason. That matters. Like if you have to go into high schools and say, coach, you weren't in the bowl, you know, and you have to answer that question. It's tough, man. Like that's a tough thing. And I know the bowls are kind of largely irrelevant and players skip them all the time. Still play them. Right. So that matters. I think you got to find your way into the postseason. I don't think you have to compete for the big 12. I think you probably should be on the right side of 500 if you can find a way to do that in the conference. Um, just because those are steps. That's progress. That's that's expected at some point, so why not now? I don't want to lean too much, though, on his on his second season, so because, again, one run through it, that was a Troy. He had a pretty good Troy team, he would tell you, that second year. They almost beat Clemson, and Clemson won the national title. So it's, but it's, it's there. He knows how to do it. But every situation is different. Um, schedule going to be harder, obviously, He's going to have better players on his side, though, so that maybe evens things out when you talk about the difference in the schedule. So, you know, to answer your question, I would say, hey, you're doing well. Don't worry that you're just one game over 500. Hey, you got us to a bowl. You're doing well. I don't think you have that conversation, though, unless you felt a vote of confidence was necessary because this was a bad year. So if they go three and six or four and five and they're home and under 500 or however this works this year, we're speaking of unknowns, how are they going to have a bowl game? when you're only playing nine or 10 games. I don't know how they're going to do that. Um, but if you got to sit down and have a conversation, that's what, that's a good question. What would take you to that meeting? What would take you to the point where you have to call your coach up and say, Hey, we got to talk. And I think this is so unusual and a lot of momentum and opportunities were squandered without anybody's at fault that you probably pause unless this is just a disaster that you find, you kind of feel bad, but you really like the guy in charge. I don't know where they stand with that, but I'd be really worried kind of be weird about what am I having two or three or four years from now based off of this one year? It's just so unusual. Should I go ahead and stoke the fires of new contract talk? Wasn't it year two that Dana got a new contract? Well, are we ready to I go mean, down he won the orange bowl. He won the yeah. Orange Bowl his first year. <laughs> so are we, are we ready to have that talk already? Are you ready to, to get going on that? Yeah, Shane? it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. I mean, unless unless he if he if he overjumps the sand pit here, 
and they're awesome, hey, go for it. You've earned it. But short of that, like, I don't, I, what are you doing? Like, again, if you can't penalize a coach because of such a strange year, I would be equally uh, hesitant to to reward a coach because of a weird year, too. Um, the other thing is, too, in this economic environment where they put punitive measures in place, punitive isn't the right word, I guess. They put some financial measures in place to stop the bleeding economically. That stuff goes through June 30th. I'm not sure you can actually act to extend the contract right now. Wouldn't that make little sense? Wouldn't that be kind of counterproductive? Yeah. Unless you just add years, which Lions doesn't believe in. Okay. I just I I I wanted you to role play as Shane Lyons, so I wanted to get you there. I wanted to throw you a loop for the mm-hmm. uh the, the the contract extension talk because you know it's coming. You know Good work. it's coming. Um, you got me. You mentioned that it was about a year ago that we did this uh for the first time, the State of the Program podcast. Where is West Virginia better? Like what which part of the program? would you say has improved the most? Because I think it's safe to say that a lot of places they're better than they were before. So which one would you say improved the most? Which section, which part, however you want to define that? And is there any part of the program you think has gone backwards? Well, let me punt to you. Um, (laughs) I think recruiting is a big one. I just think it is. Um, I mean, we don't have to go back too far where they lost like majority of their recruiting classes. Like one year they recruited six safeties, one remains. It's X three low, who's a linebacker. Is that right? Yeah. So like just things like that where they were just whiffing on guys. And you know, they were really good about signing players that committed. And they would have a hundred percent accuracy on that. They didn't have any of that guy signs, it doesn't appear. Um, I think Brown had one last year, correct? Was that Lynn? Rayshon uh, Lynn. Rayshon Lynn, they added late, yeah. And didn't so, show up. So that's okay. It doesn't it hurts, but it's not not as bad as it's been in the past here, but Dana staff got pretty good at that, but they were getting guys in who just weren't sticking around. who didn't play. Remember the one year they had like 16 guys transfer and like, you kind of went, Oh, well, like these were just guys. That's yeah. not good for the health of a program. So it had to be fixed. Um, I, I, my observation and I don't have great intellect on this, but their class is pretty good for 21 and it seems like they're going to get some impact from the 20 class, too. Um, I think you're going to agree with me here, but recruiting would be, if not the biggest one, but certainly an obvious answer to that question, right? Well, you know, recruiting is is the thing I focus on a lot. So I didn't mm-hmm. know if I was just too narrow-minded on that because that seems like a really obvious pick for me. I wasn't sure if there was something else maybe that, that uh, was more so, and I was just missing it because, yeah, recruiting is – leaps and bounds better i think it's it's important to note what you just mentioned there about not just adding guys to add guys at the end of the class Uh, guys that weren't going to stick around guys that even when they left you're like oh who cares i don't even know if that guy was any good or not um because the, the recruiting at least as far as the rankings again and these are projections and they are accurate but that doesn't mean accurate does not mean perfect so we got to keep that in mind but this last set, the twenty twenty, the twenty twenty class was the highest rated class ever for West Virginia. As long as they've had internet rankings, it is the highest class ever. And so far, the twenty twenty one class is an entire point. So eighty six point four four was the average rating in the last class. 
This year so far, 87.63. It is an entire point higher than than last year. Last year was the best class ever. And we're not talking like, you know, one five-star or like, you know, Wyatt Millam, who's top 50, top 100 kid in the class in the country, uh, changing that rating. We're talking top to bottom, just solid, just solid kids. You know, I've done my teal chip recruit thing, but we, I also went back and did the uh, Mr. Irrelevant, uh, you know, in the NFL draft. They have Mr. Irrelevant, the guy that's taken last in the draft. I went back and looked at the guys who were the lowest rated in each class. And in the last couple classes, the lowest rated guy in the class would be in like the top five or top top half of the class just a few years ago. Like right, that's right. how drastic, you know, if you bring up your weakest link, so, so to speak, I hate to call the, the lowest rated guy in the class the weakest link, but as far as rankings go, if you bring that up, your weakest link, that strengthens the whole team just as much as adding that guy at the very top. To continue with this and to answer your question, but stick with recruiting too, um, they think really highly of Garrett Green. Um, just kind of looks the part for what they want to do. Competitive, not big, but he can move a little bit. Does throw it. I mean, he was an Elite 11 prospect, so you know he has the credentials to do that, to come in and play. Um, if you look ahead to the future, Will Crowder, a little bit bigger, maybe more of a prototypical passer, they like him a lot too. Um, I don't know what's going to turn out for them, but just the fact that you have organically sourced quarterbacks is big. You don't want to play the transfer game over and over and over. I think it's cool if you can do it. Again, getting Will Greer here is not a bad deal. Get him here however you want. But if you want to continuously rely on that model, you're going to end up with Jack Allison sometimes, and you don't want to lean on that. Um, we don't know about Austin Kendall. That was kind of a necessary evil for Neil Brown last year. Jared Dagey was just kind of a convenience. Hey, we got a way to make this work. Come on in. I don't think you want to keep doing that. It's really hard. Um, West Virginia has had not many high school recruits start a game going back. I've, I haven't done the math in a while, but is it Ford Childress? Is that the last high school quarterback to start a game? Yeah, I think so. Millard was before him. Childress, Trickett was a transfer. Howard was a junior college transfer. And then Greer. So it's been since that disastrous 37 nothing game against Maryland in 2013. It's been seven years since the high school quarterback started a game here. That is correct. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, you don't want to keep doing that because you're the chances are you're not going to have continuity from year to year or beyond two years. Um, if you can get a guy who can be in the program for five years and start for three of them, start for two of them, even if he only starts for one or two years, he knows everything and everybody around him knows stuff. So I think that's a step in the good direction. Um, Green and Crowder project to be better high school prospects than people have than other people who've been here before. Uh, Trey Lowe is a strange one. Chavis Rollins is a strange one. They just haven't been able to sign and keep quarterbacks here. This is at least a good sign. I think that's a sign for the recruiting thing, but also the overall wealth of the program. Um, if you can get a high school quarterback to come in and matter for a period of years, that's just such a big difference for you. Yeah. No, oh, man, you brought, you brought back some bad memories there. It, the Rollins one was the one where I walked out of WVU camp being like, what in the world are they doing? Uh, and, and Lowe was the guy, I think, a, another outlet had him as a four-star recruit. We had him at 24-7 Sports. And I didn't contribute to this rating at all. I never saw him in person. He did not camp at West Virginia uh, before they offered him, and he, he caught on. So I didn't get to evaluate him, but we had him as a very low three-star 
And I still remember it because I reached out to his trainer, uh, one of his high school trainers. I don't know if it was his high school coach or his trainer. And he would not talk to me, sent me a nasty message and told me that he would never speak to anybody at 24-7 sports. And we were all a joke for ranking low that, that low in the rankings. And um, I mean, I can't say we're right. Uh, obviously, you know, he's got baseball going on as well. So that's a thing. But man, uh, you got me thinking about the high school kids and that that's about it for like the last decade. Crest. Uh, Crest. Uh, man, I was high on Crest. I, I got that one wrong, but he was a talent. Where they're also better, I think, just is in the overall depth of the roster. Um, there were gaps between the top of the depth chart and the next line, second line toward the end of Dana's time here. Right. It just felt mm-hmm. like they were top heavy, but didn't have great depth. I think that the backups here are good. There's more backups. You know, they're going to be darn near close to 85. That's good. They're fi- going to find a way to have 125 kids in the roster. That's good. Um, their walk-on program is really good. I don't know how many of these kids will actually play games, but they're going to give you good scout team stuff. They're going to, you know, be there just in case this year it might be really viable too, just for practice time too. Um, one thing that I do think is different, and I think this has to be fixed, and I don't think you can extend the premise of my argument too far, but for a long, long time, West Virginia was going to give you the business on offense. Whenever you played them, they were going to give you trouble on offense. That was not the case last year. Uh, one of the worst offenses in the country. Um, couldn't run the ball, had problems at quarterback, wasn't very efficient, did not score a lot. I don't think it's going to happen very long, but like, I don't think you can say that the offense is in a better position than it was. And across Dana's time, 2013 was an exception. Um, but across his time, those offenses were pretty good. And they may not have a great team. They were going to make you work on defense, and they were going to extend games, and they were going to be a threat because of players they had out there. I do think they have players. Um, we talked about this in another episode, like some guys who have the ball in their hand, and they're going to be dangerous. Some people who can make plays, catch passes, break tackles. Uh, Got to see it, though, and I don't think they're there yet. Is that the fault of people who are involved? I don't think you can – again, I don't think you can be too harsh on last year because so much was new and so much was players who weren't quite ready. But, um, you know, the offensive line's got to get better to help people around it. The quarterback thing has to be right. Um, Letty Brown has to be the guy on in charge of kind of getting the running game going with the ball in his hand, if not a better be Tony Mathis. Um, a lot of ifs to make it work, but – that's kind of where they're at. It just isn't the same. It wasn't as threatening. And I think you to kind of take that reputation out of the field this year is that, all right, it's West Virginia. It wasn't very good in offense last year. Let's see what you got. Um, that's a kind of an easy bar to clear. That's a heck of a bar to have in front of you too. All right. We covered recruiting. We covered kind of the team as a whole getting ready for year two, year 0.1. I, again, we will push this to the back because I know some people don't want to hear some of the, the comments involved with it that might be involved with it but what about the coaching staff how, how do we feel that this has progressed and obviously there's been a lot of curveballs lately but how do we feel that it's progressed since the first time we did this well we know a lot more about brown and i think the stuff that maybe you rolled your eyes about because you just weren't sure if you could believe in it or stuff that people told you but you hadn't seen and i was guilty of this um you have answers to it now. You can hold stuff in your hands. Like, he does seem to be like a captain of the ship. Um, he has his attention spread throughout his program, and uh, perhaps with one exception, <laughs> a notable one, albeit, uh, he knows what's going on. 
and that's good. Um, I think if you look at a lot of the stuff they're doing for the players, the fifth quarter program, the branding yourself stuff, that's important too. Recruiting has gone good. So you have questions that you've had answered about him. Didn't show on the field last year, but if you look at how they played the final three weeks, you know, win at Kansas State. Finish the season, win at TCU. In between, tough game against Oklahoma State. And then, you know, that swings in that Sam James touchdown catch they took away. And then um, I think what they end up turning it over after that anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so could have had a different outcome in there. Could have gone 3-0 at the end of the season. So I think you look at that and you say, all right, not inept. Not that you thought he was, but you can say, hey, got it. Um, I, I just wonder about the continuity on the offense. I wonder about the offensive line. It's just stuff I don't know yet. Similar to last year, I don't know. I got to see it, but I think it's fair to ask questions. Defense said what I had to say about that. Um, you hope it works. I think you have the right people in place. I think Castile is a good guy for this. He's going to go in. He's not going to suffer fools. He's going to coach you hard. He's going to bring out the best people. And if you're not up to his challenge, you're not going to be on the field. It's up to you at this point, not to him. He does not care that he's new. He's there to do a job he's done, and if you're not going to do the job, he'll find somebody who will. He'll play walk-ons. He'll play guys who are lower on the depth chart, and he'll find a way to make it work. So that's something I think is important. Um, Ancillary, but I think important, has to do with fundraising, though. I don't think you should fire coaches or hire coaches on the premise that you make money on the hire or the coach. But I think a lot of people were so down on Holgerson and his longevity, his tenure here, that they thought it had – rained on the fundraising parade. Maybe after eight years, he was tired of the rubber chicken dinners. He was tired of riding shotgun in a golf cart. And he just wasn't engaging. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, talk to donors. Maybe he didn't want to lean in as we have seen Brown do all of the above. It's hard to ignore that they're down $10 million in donations. Went from 29 to 19. And that counts the first nine months of the Brown tenure. Is it all on him? No. Financial times are tough. I get that. But this was supposed to stimulate all sorts of stuff in financial support. That was a big thing that people said, hey, new blood in here, new energy is going to be great. It's going to be a great fundraiser. Hasn't happened. So we can cross that one off the list as far as year one. It's a challenge now. I think that it's incumbent upon football and especially the head coach right now to make their money by making the athletic department money. I don't know how they do it, but that's the gem in the athletic department's crown, the football team. And the brightest stone is always going to be the football coach. So um, got to be a way to close the gap. Are you going to make up $10 million in a year? It's hard after you lost $10 million in a year. Um, but somehow you got to get better. You have to be more energetic, more engaged, individually, collectively, as a team, as a coach to get the fundraising going, get it back where it needs to be. You can explain away the gap from before he was here and after he arrived. It's not all his fault. Sometimes people are done donating. So a really big number one year may be lower because four or five people may have ended a five-year run of sizable donations. They had a five-year plan to pay $100,000, let's say. Well, maybe their five years is up. It happened to be Brown's first year. That's not the entirety of $10 million. So um, that's one thing I think that maybe could be better and that might just come with being around longer, too. You know, hey, I really know this guy. I really like this guy. I've gotten to know him. I trust him more. I wasn't going to pay my first year. But now that I know him better and I've seen his work, I'm much more willing to open up my pocketbook in the second year. I do hold out hope for that. It does seem strange, right, that, as you mentioned, when he first got here, it was, is he genuine? Is, is what he's saying and doing here genuine? Does he really mean this stuff? Does he really want to do this stuff? And he either is genuine or 
he sure does put on a lot because he's been, he's stuck with it. He's stuck with this, putting himself in, in, involved in everything, mm-hmm. and going out seeing donors, doing these videos, doing these chats, and but then to not get the return on it is it, it's strange to me. It, it is strange to me that that didn't work out because he seems very genuine in everything that he's doing with this stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, and again, maybe year two is maybe year two is year one for donors. Maybe year <laughs> one was year zero. Uh, you know, the taxes changed, the tax code changed where you can't write off nearly as many things that might've slowed people down. Maybe they have it figured out now and they're willing to come back in. So there's different ways you could do it, but I just think that 10 million is too large to ignore. I'm not saying they should have gone up 10 million his first year, but 10 million is a big gap. And even if he's not the cause or the sole cause, um, he's got to be a big part of the solution. Him and his team, whether on the field or off the field, that's just part and parcel of being the football coach. That's why they have all that supplemental income built into contracts. You got to go out and you got to do stuff on the fundraising circuit. That's going to be a big thing for them in the future. Uh, one little addition to the coaching staff. The thing maybe I am watching closest this season, obviously the defense, I mean, again, we don't need to rehash all that. It, it Who knows what's going to happen. Hopefully it'll all work out. But the um, – Gerard Parker, because we discussed this when Neil Brown was hired, you made a an assistant coach tracker hot board, whatever we were calling it at the time, listing off the top targets for each of these positions. And right there, number one for wide receivers coach was Parker. This was two years ago, you know, when Brown first arrived on campus. He has been right at or near the top of that board for Neil Brown, for West Virginia to add. They finally added him this offseason after missing out on him the first time around. Gave him that offensive coordinator title. And we've seen some returns on the recruiting trail. That's a positive. But And and you've detailed the success he's had on the actual field, too. So it's not like I'm not expecting it. I am expecting it. So I'm very interested in seeing how big of an impact he has on that offense and on this team when it comes to actually playing football this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I know some people who know Brown and who knew Brown and we were talking about, listen, how are they going to do this? They said, well, Moore will come. He'll be his offensive line coach. He'll bring Vic. Uh, and I think the third or fourth name, and I can't remember if it was Chad Scott who was third or if it was Parker was fourth. Um, but Parker was the guy that they said he's going to get him. And I was like, they don't have any history together. They played a season together at Kentucky. They were years apart. True, right? It's not like they were four years and they were roommates and they coached together. They just had a season together at Kentucky, different times in their life. Um, but the regard that he holds Parker in is obvious. Just watching him um, talk about him, I guess listen and talk about him, I should say. You can tell it's there. It exists. So that was a big deal. Um, I don't think anybody blames him for going to Penn State last year, but he's here now, and it's going to be a thing. How can you do it? He's never run an offense before. He's not going to call plays. He wants to. But he's got to get on Brown's page and how to think about dialing up in practice, rehearsing in practice the plays that Brown is going to call and that will work on Saturday. That's going to be good. Um, his skill with offensive players is, is pretty well known. I mean, especially receivers. He recruited a number of four-star guys. He developed NFL guys in just one year at Penn State. Uh, a weird, quirky thing. He's really good with small receivers. Guys who are like 5'11", 5'10", put up big numbers of him. And I think some coaches say, let's start with the guys who were tall and fast and make it work. Well, you can do something with people who are small and make it work. He's done that outside, um, not so much inside because he hasn't coached inside. But, you know, you look at West Virginia's roster, there may be guys who are going to be elevated this year just because schematically, technically, whatever, he knows a way to get Winston Wright open, whether it's up the seam or it's up the rail. Who knows? Sam James, again, not a giant, 
um, outside receiver, there's ways to liberate him and make him go. I'm very interested to see how that manifests itself on the field. All right, it's about time for me to go sweat to death with some Little League baseball coaching. So I want to end it with one question, and I want a one-word answer from you, Mike. No ah. he and Holland, no punting back to me, no explanation. One okay. word. Okay. <laughs> West Virginia Mountaineers football in 2021. Buying, selling, or holding? Buy. There you go. What a homer. What a homer. Love it. <laughs> Love it. All right. Uh, Mike, this is our last podcast before you go on vacation. Or, well, excuse me. This is our last podcast before I call you on day two of your vacation to have another emergency podcast. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, what else? I know you have stories banked. So, what do you got coming up for us even while you're gone? Well, this is our last one in our podcast series, right? I think we did (laughs) agreed on that. So, did a couple of them. doing a series of things on players who it's kind of now or never for them. Maybe never isn't the right word, but certainly now is the time. I think that's what we call it. Now is the time, the case for, and picked out six players, three on offense, three on defense, where now's the time, you know, whether they were watching or waiting, now's the time for them. If the team is going to be a team that you buy stock in, these six players probably aren't going to have a lot to do with it. Different roles, different capacities, but now's the time for them. And then just filling in different stuff, having an update in the people's program, sneaked in a uh, three things earlier in the week trying my best to fill the days while i'm gone sounds good and and for our listeners i am not entirely sure which day of the week this is going to get posted but regardless it seems there will be west virginia mountaineer football kicking off this coming weekend uh it was just clarified to me that even if the schedule is pushed back for instance like the sec pushed their schedule back to start on september 26th they can still start practice 30 days before whatever their original start date was. So even if the start date of the season gets pushed back, the original start date is what counts, and that's when practice can start. So there should be WV football practice this weekend, and we will be there to cover it for you. Hey, real quick, uh, sneaky benefit, too. Um, you know how you can not You can do anything up until the start of the semester, and the start of the semester is the start of the 20 hours a week? Uh-huh. West Virginia semester got bounced back one week. So they have an extra week of no holds barred junction boy practice potential. <laughs> I'm sure the players are thrilled. Just yeah, thrilled. thrilled with Coaches that idea. Are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, that'll wrap it up for this time. Uh, we'll be back next time. I might have a couple special guests in some podcasts later this month, and we'll have plenty of stories for you in your coverage over at earsports.com. I am Chris Anderson. Play ball, Chris. I'm Mike Casaza. <laughs> Thanks for listening.